Welcome to the Scale Up Your Business podcast. In this podcast, we talk about what it takes to go from startup to scale up and beyond. How to significantly grow your business, create freedom, build wealth, and live life on your terms. Featuring some very special guests and experts to give you advice and direction on your journey. And now, introducing your host, entrepreneur, investor, and scale-up specialist, Nick Bradley. Hi, everyone. It's Nick Bradley here, and welcome to Scale Up Your Business. So today on the show, we have Kevin Yerushia. Now, Kevin is an expert in growing and scaling online businesses. And the reason I want to have him on the show is not so much that we're going to talk about online businesses specifically. What he has managed to achieve is fast growth in a lot of the businesses that he has either personally owned, started, established, but also how he works with clients. Now, a bit of context, uh, Kevin started out, he actually started out as a developer in Silicon Valley. He was working with Mint.com, Intuit, and Zali. And he went from there to uh, an entrepreneurial journey, as we would say, growing his home cleaning business from zero to $3 million in less than 18 months. He then went on to starting another company, an e-commerce company, which he took from zero to 1.5 million in revenue in under 12 months. And from there, he has launched another business called Voy Media, where he works with some pretty big clients that are featured on Shark Tank and those sort of things, where he focuses on the precision around digital marketing and how you can drive the pace of growth in your business from various strategies and tactics. Now, the thing that's interesting about Kevin is that his background is a developer. So he came from this sort of technical thinking, technical ideology, and then moved into marketing. And for me, that's quite an interesting perspective. I think marketing is becoming a little bit more detailed. It's not just about brand, it's about direct response, it's about measurement, it's about metrics. And Kevin is absolutely an expert in this space. So we're going to cover all that and more today. We're going to cover the A to Z of growth strategies around digital marketing. Enjoy the show. Alrighty, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Scale Up Your Business. Another week, another amazing guest on the show. Uh, you're sitting in a, in a, in a somewhat uh, a renowned seat, Kevin. Okay. <laughs> so we have, I'll explain that in a second because I've just done my 150th episode and I've just had some amazing conversations with people like Neil Patel and John Lee Dumas and nice. Patrick Bed David and Jay Abraham. So, so Kevin, um, now I'm going to pronounce your last name. Is it Yerusha? Yerutia? Rutia, how's that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Normally, I normally bastardize people's names. <laughs> no, right? it's fine. Yeah, it's it's uh, trust me. Growing up was like worse. People have no. But now it's like Rutia. People have heard it a few times now. So it's Rutia. There we are. Yeah. Well, listen. Welcome, mate. Welcome to the show. And uh, it's great to have you here today. So we can kind of get into all things business growth, scale, and entrepreneurship. Thanks, thanks, thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. Cool. Okay. So what I'll do is um I'll just kind of go through a little bit of an introduction, and then I'll mm-hmm. kind of get right into your story if that's cool. So. Yep. Um, so travel and nature enthusiast, um, you're hiking through Mount Fuji. That sounds awesome. By the yeah. way, we need to talk about that. I love all that sort of thing. Um, but you are now kind of very much into the whole, um, digital marketing game. You've got uh, an agency called Voy Media, um, yeah. Yeah. and you've also got your own e-commerce stuff going on as well. So what I'd like to do today is, is talk about your entrepreneurial journey uh, the things that you've learned on that journey. And then as we go through that, let's just dive into the various businesses and, and we might just start to play around with some of your areas of expertise. Okay. So we get practical. How's that sound? Okay. Yeah, it sounds good. 
Yeah. So my journey, at least for entrepreneurship started, I guess, when I was much, when I was young, really growing up, uh, I would always be working with my, I guess my dad and he would always take us to construction job. But I think at that time when I was like, what, 16 or 15, I didn't really think about it as entrepreneurship, but like, I just thought I was like, oh, my dad just needed like side money for the family. So, but I didn't realize until much later on, that's like a side business is like what people did is like, I guess people call it like side hustles. Um, but for us, it was more of like, oh, we don't have any money. So we need to get, do something. Right. And then he would tell us like, Hey, if you're not going to go to school or if you don't want to go to study, you're going to come with me to work. At least for me, that would kind of build the discipline of working because my, they were literally, I tell people all the time, like it wasn't like for fun. It was like, you're coming to work. Like you're, if not, you're working, you're going to get it like beat pretty much. Like you're going to go so, work with you. What yeah. age was that given? Uh, 15, 16. Yeah. 16, okay. Me and my brother, we always had to go. I still remember like waking up at six or 7am and I still remember uh, Edwin's my brother. I still remember telling him like some days you wake up pretending to be six and you have to go to work. Cause like, I just didn't like doing it. I was just like, uh, but that was like fun times back in the day. Um, but anyways, that's sort of, at least for me, that's sort of built up some sort of discipline of like making stuff. And I knew I still wanted to work because I saw my parents were working. So basically we were doing construction work and I just didn't like doing construction work. But what I really was attracted to at that time was like computer stuff because we got our first computer at that around that time. And then I was like, oh, this thing is like interesting. I really like computers. And somehow, I don't know what, the, I got into like playing games and that my curiosity of how games are built was really what made me want to learn more programming because I was talking to the, at least this, the game was called Secrets of War. I was talking to the developer of the game and it was like one person building the whole thing. And I thought that was so amazing. I was like, whoa, like this one person is building this game that like I love and I know other players love. I got to figure out how to do that. And that's really what made me want to learn programming. And then that really, for me, opened up the possibility. It's like, oh, whoa, you don't need to have this big thing uh, to have a lot of people use where before I was used to traditional companies where you have like a, a ton of employees and everybody works for you. But I was like, Oh, it's pretty cool. Like software is kind of interesting. And it was more of that spark of like, Hey, software is like infinitely scalable. Um, and that's kind of got started into uh, computer science. which ultimately led me to go to Silicon Valley um, to do uh, work at Mint Zarly because that's for me was the tech Mecca, the startup Mecca, everything I was reading about tech crunch, hacker news, everybody saying, Hey, if you want to do a startup, you want to see your own company, you got to go to Silicon Valley because that's where you'll find the connections. And when I went to San Francisco, it was like everything I ever wanted and more. And that sort of, for me, was like the perfect uh, place to be because I learned so much. I was doing a ton of competitions, hackathons, nightly programming competitions. Uh, and that was super exciting for me. Um, and then this, that, way, about what time? How, how, how long ago? Uh, this is probably about, right now I'm 31, about eight years ago. Yeah, so uh, I was in San Francisco for about four years. And where did you live before that? So you said you went to Silicon Valley. Were you living in, in uh, California then or were you from somewhere else? So I'm from New York City and uh, basically I went to school in upstate New York. And when I moved to San Francisco, I've never been to California before. I just went there because this was the dream. And the dream is so, like I tell people all the time, like the dream was so strong that I had to go there even though I knew nobody. I just knew that I wanted to be there. And the reason why, at least for me, it was very easy to go is because um, that sort of concept of going somewhere where you need to be. Like my parents told us that they're like, Hey, they, we came here from El Salvador and we came to the U S for a better life without knowing any English. And you guys are like, you want to go pursue your dream, go do it because you have whatever it takes. Like if anything goes wrong, you'll always have a job. You'll always, you can speak English. You're born here. Like for us, we had no choice. And that is like so powerful. Um, at least from us seeing it as kids saying like, 
wow, my parents came here when they're like 17, 16, not knowing anybody, but now they were able to make it and have us. And, and this is like, for me, it's like, my mom always tells me like, you guys have everything I wish I ever, I wanted. So uh, I'm so That's happy to be proud of you. Amazing gift yeah. though for them to give that to you. Yeah. What, so what, what are some of the key lessons then you learned from your parents? You mentioned beforehand about the work ethic um, of your dad, yeah. those sort of things, but what are some yeah. of the other things you learned? Uh, yeah, number one is probably work ethic. I think a big thing growing up too that my parents taught us was uh, re re they really, really instilled with us like about caring for your brothers and siblings. So I have a brother and two sisters. So Edwin, who's our brother, we've been working on our business together for past five years. Um, I live here in Brooklyn. Edwin lives three floors down from me in his own condo as well. Um, we've been, yeah, we, me and Edwin live together in, in the city too as well in East Village. Uh, I think that was the biggest thing for us is um, and I think it was more of a byproduct of the way we grew up. So growing up, we were all had, um, we had two bedrooms in an apartment and all four of us were in one room, one bunk bed, me and Edwin the bottom, my sisters on the top and my parents in own room. So it was just like being inherently close makes you close. And it was a thing that they have always wanted saying, Hey, this is how we grew up. And of course it's a situation where we can't, we can't afford more. Right. And that inherently does be uh, good, uh, good siblings. And, but that was a big one for my family is just being like, Hey, like you're always going to have each other, like no matter what, obviously good work ethic. And then a big one, like, I guess most Hispanic families is schooling, right? They say, you got to go to school because this is what, uh, we came here for the U S like I can't, <laughs> I couldn't go to school. Right. Probably yeah. like the biggest one for like most immigrant parents is like, you have to go to school because they believe in that. Uh, but one thing I, I mean, I always tell people all the time, it's like, uh, one thing that my parents did want us to do was follow traditional routes, right? Be a doctor, be a nurse, right? But for me and my brothers, uh, my, so my sister's a doctor. Uh, but for me, I always, I, my mom was always like, Kevin, you gotta be a dentist. I was like, no, I'm not going to be a dentist. Like, stop telling me what to do. So like, there's always this thing that they push on you, but I think it's always great to see, like, I know why she wanted me to do that because that's safe for them. Like they said like, Hey, I want something that's going to make you money. It's going to be safe. Not something that's going to be like entrepreneurship. You know, it's very dangerous. It's scary for them. Right. Like what if it fails? But for me, I was like, no, like, I don't see that as a failure because you took a risk coming here. And that's like entrepreneurship. Like you're here for a better life. And entrepreneurship is that in a less risky way than what you did, which is like leaving your whole family, leaving, like going hundreds of miles away from El Salvador and not knowing anybody that's scary. And this, I'm just like, this is not scary, right? This is just doing it. So. It's just different, isn't it? But I, yeah. think, but I think, you know, there's also people, people don't appreciate necessarily those two things as being the same thing. Yeah. You know, so, you know, yeah, absolutely. It was a risk for your parents, but we thought, you know what, there wasn't really a choice. Yeah. And sometimes with entrepreneurship, if you put yourself in that position, you go, I'm not going to allow myself to yeah. pay because I'm not going to give up. Right. Yeah. I might not have the best, you know, days or weeks yeah. and you've done a lot of stuff. I'm just looking at your profile as we're talking, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, if you, if you stick with it and you, you're resilient, then you ultimately yeah. get to a good results in the end is my opinion on it. Yeah. And that's exactly what it is. Resilience and just sticking with it and, and really truly kind of like it goes both ways, you know, like either you can truly believe in it and then you'll make it happen or you believe in it and you're just like completely like weigh yourself down. So it's like knowing yeah. when so to stop mindset and all that. Um, so you were a developer, as you said beforehand, but now you, you've moved more into, into the marketing side. Just tell us about that journey. So yeah. it's not to say that technical people don't move into the commercial sphere, yeah. but it's normally not that common. So I'd like to understand how you did that. Yeah. So the big thing for me, like, like I said, I really wanted to go to Silicon Valley. And when I was a programmer, at least I was learning programming. I was really a big believer in, in, Hey, if you have a great product, people will come. 
So I believe that because that's what I was reading. Hey, you have the great software, great product, great market, great product market fit. You don't need to do any marketing. So I never was into marketing uh, until maybe I was like 22 or 23. Uh, and that's because I then went to another startup in California. And then I joined the marketing team there as a developer, helping the marketing team implement a lot of this tracking. And that's when I got... I mean, I knew about marketing. I wasn't like, didn't know anything about it, but I was just like, not something I was like into it. And this, when I was like doing the market, the, the programming for the marketers, I was like, at least for me, I was like, whoa, this is really easy. Like, how is this person getting paid more than me? I was just like, like, and that's like the, for me, I was just like, that was like a big thing that sort of made me realize like, oh, like, how is this like, I was like, marketing is really technical now. Like pixels, tracking, email, some coding. I was just like, how, how are there these marketers that are marketers, but they don't even know how to install something that's going to make their job better. Um, it's all about Excel tables, pulling the data with Python. I was like, this is what I do. Like, this is just applying math to it. I was just like, and then that's, that's sort of like kind of what got me interested in doing it. And then, so that's like, it was like luck plus like me just kind of like being a little bit curious. I was like, oh, this is interesting. And then I read more about it. And then I was like, oh, okay, so now I'm seeing marketing to be, of course, the psychologicalness of marketing, but also the data side of it. That's what's making internet marketing really big now, like Google ads, Facebook ads, because now you could truly track everything where before it was kind of like a little bit feelings-based and you couldn't track too well. But now with the data, the programming, you can really make a lot better. And then what really made me excited about marketing was um, learning about like HubSpot was doing marketing, which is more like um, building programs for marketing tools. I saw that that was a really big thing where you could build a website or an app. Let's say, for example, HubSpot has like a free signature uh, builder where they programmed uh, something where somebody can put in your first name, your phone number, your LinkedIn profiles, and they'll automatically spit out like a signature. And HubSpot used that as a way to generate leads for their business. And I was like, oh, this is pretty interesting. So they're combining marketing plus software in order to generate leads. And that's sort of like what made me really excited about marketing because I see, I saw like the intermingling of marketing plus programming. And that's kind of what made me um, just learn more about it. And especially now with like SEO, I was doing a lot of, I learned SEO and I saw there's a lot of SEO tools that were just like a web a programming app that basically tracked your top 10 rankings. I was like, oh, this is a program that scrapes Google and displays the rankings and puts in a graph. I was like, oh, that's crazy. This is like, I could do this. It's just so easy to do, right? And so it's like, that's sort of where I saw the mixing of marketing plus programming and how it's so much better if you know both. And that's why for me, I'm like, Oh, it's for me. I'm like, Oh, this is easy. Like I know how to do it. Like, um, and that's what made me super interested in because now I, now I'm like, Oh, this is what maybe, maybe this is what I need to do in order to, to build and sell the software and products that I want to make. Because at this time, um, while I was in San Francisco, I was still building, I was working a full time at a company, but I was still building stuff. And I never knew how to get customers until I was like, Oh, this is what I need. I need this marketing thing on top of the products because that's going to help me sell more. And that's kind of like how, at least that opened up my eyes. I didn't know everything, but at least I knew, Oh, I need to study this now. And that's when I started reading more marketing books and, uh, learning about how to apply and how other companies are doing it. So let's talk about what I'd like to go into then, um, is I'd like to talk about automation. Right. Uh, and, and that side of marketing. And the reason for that is a, you know, from your technical background, I think it'd be an interesting chat. Plus we haven't talked about it a lot on this podcast before. Right. So, so mm -hmm. we talk a lot about brands, we talk about direct response. We talk a lot about social media, but some of the more technical aspects where you can use technology and marketing and data and all of that. Let's kind of unpack that. Sound cool. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds good. Yeah. 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 So yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, no. So let's kick it, kick it off. Let, let, let's talk about kind of, how do you look at this now? So how do you look at the world of marketing now where we've got 
you know, Facebook getting in trouble for the way that they use data. You've mm -hmm. got automation tools like chatbots against Facebook Messenger and Instagram Messenger and all this sort of stuff. What's your view just on the landscape now and obviously where you think it's going to be moving over the next few years? Yeah, I think, so I think what's happening with, especially with the Facebook thing right now, which is affecting everybody, um, I think what's going to happen is it's, I think it's, I think it's in a phase right now for Facebook where Facebook is very personalized and people are very acceptable about that. But at the same time, they're not realizing that a lot of the stuff that Facebook is doing is giving you really great tailored ads that you want to see. Uh, because what's going to happen, I think, if Facebook loses all this like tailoring of uh, specific data about yourself, what you buy, your marketing is going to be like a TV where it's going to be like, you don't even know you don't even know what ad you're going to watch next or like why you're watching it. And then you're going to be complaining about it. And then that's going to make the YouTube experience worse. Whereas tailoring of ads does show you things that you want to do. And people might not think about it, but because they don't, they haven't seen it another way. But I think once they see it, oh, wow, these ads suck. They might be like, oh, I wish I had the old style again. Right. So it's like, you don't know what you're missing until you're missing it. Right. And I'm an I old think guy. Right. And I can tell you right now that when, you know, so I grew up when there was only four TV stations on yeah. like, and of course, you couldn't turn the ads off and you couldn't control yeah. it. So you just get anything. Yeah. And I think you're right. You take it for granted now that at least if you're into, I don't know, jumping out of planes, yeah. you get some travel ad, right? That it's yeah. in your yeah. thing. But yeah, that's interesting. I like it. Yeah. So that's what I'm thinking because people just don't realize how it was and they take it granted. And, and the thing too, it's like, I'm thinking that like now, because it's so personalized, you're going to probably click on the ad. But unlike a TV, you can't just skip so Facebook potentially could be like, hey, no, like we need to get our impressions up and we just need to watch it and kind of like a TV ad, right? So we've, for now you just keep scrolling like, oh, whatever. That's so simple. Just skip, right? Think about it. TV, you can't just be like, oh, let me just skip this ad. But because they make you watch it because now there's no way to like really know. So anyway, that's what I think about that. Can uh, I, can I, oh, I mean, you know, is there, is there a point where there's just so much data that it's, it's just effectively like scary? Right. It doesn't yeah. bother me. I'm just thinking more broadly. That yeah. Also, now that people can, like, you know, Alexa can listen to the conversations you're yeah. having. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, my, my, my Alexa, every time I say something, it's like speaks to me. I'm like, stop. I'm not going to talk to you right now. But I, I think that is like a, another thing that, yeah, there's so much data out there. Um, and so I think there needs to be something about there about like, I don't know, some like stuff I think about are kind of like for this data, are like, let's say you pass away. What happens to your data? Right all the stuff they've online, your Twitter account, your Facebook account. Um, it's interesting because it's always there. And who does it get deleted? Because obviously with all the new rules, there's like a request saying, hey, delete my data. But if you pass away, who can request that for you? Is it your family? Is it the government says, hey, this person died, like delete all their stuff, right? And there's all this like uncertainty yeah. about data that we just don't know yet, right? Because I mean, if, if okay, let's just play with this right yeah. now. I don't know the answer. I've never, yeah. I've never really gone deep. But if, we, if you know you and I are on this platform right now, we're on Zoom, we're doing yeah. this, we end up being a podcast and all that stuff. But you know, there's data that's being shared here. There's there's on our social channels. Yeah. Who yeah. actually owns the data? It's it's yeah. my mine and your information, but who owns it? Yeah, who owns it? Zoom Zoom probably has a copy, right? We're using Zoom, yeah. like anchor, whoever posting has. Yeah, it's like how like who truly owns it and. And when does it get deleted and should it get deleted? Right. Cause like you probably have some files that you go to your Gmail from like two years, like five years ago. I'm like, Oh man, that file's deleted. I'm like, I wish I had it. It's like, why was it deleted? Right. Like why isn't it stored somewhere? Right. It's like, but yeah, it's a, that whole like data aspect is just like crazy because if you think about it, like there's no possible way to store all the data. It's like, 
it's just like terabytes, terabytes of data. Like it's like a new landfill now. It's like digital hoarding, right? Like, I mean, I have hundreds of files on my computer that I'm like, oh, one day I'll read this PDF that I downloaded for like the 20th time. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll be really honest, right? I had, um, before my new um, uh, PA started, I had 14,000 yeah. emails in my actual inbox, not in, not in folders. Yeah. And it was funny. I, I know, I know, but it's just stuff that like had come in. Right. And some people get stressed by that. I don't, but, but I've, you've got to think there is so much, so many yeah. bites, if you like, of this stuff everywhere. But I'd yeah. love to know this thing because because there's a pushback around ownership right now. Are you starting to see that in marketing, particularly as there's different generations coming in, this idea that the, there needs to be more consumer power yep. around data. And I've been, I think it's interesting. How do you think that's going to change the way that um, businesses can market to consumers? Yeah, there's this whole thing about like, consumers want to like own everything themselves now, or like they don't want to share anything. And I think it's, I, th I think for us, it's marketing, at least for Facebook, we're seeing it like affect like customers being able to, to sell product. Like we can't sell products to you if you don't, if you, we don't know you like it or you don't tell us you like it. Um, but I think for businesses as general and the way we see it is that I think what's going to happen is you're going to have a subset of users that are going to want to share their data. And the thing about it's like, Sharing data just sounds scary. I think it needs. I think there's what's going to happen is going to be a, a re, like that word is going to be used differently. Like data sharing data now sounds so scary to people. It's kind of like like cigarettes. As before, like 20 years ago, it was like oh it's cool. Now you hear cigarettes, it's like it's the word has changed to like bad, right? Kind of like think about like let's say COVID, right? Like you take the test before that it was like okay you talk about STD. Now it's like okay you take the COVID. So you see how like the words have changed the meaning. So I think there's gonna be a marketing campaign around that. Similar to like got milk, right? Where now it's good to drink milk. Where before it was like you're never drinking milk. So I think there's gonna be some like consortiums that pitch uh, sharing your data as a good thing, saying hey look now you can see where you're what what you like where you're what you're interested in versus now it's like the scary word, uh, to you. So I don't know. I'll, I'll, that's some thoughts I've been thinking about. So. Oh, fascinating. No, I agree. And I, and I think the other thing that's interesting is I was talking to someone the other day and we were saying about the difference between, um, organic mm -hmm. uh, marketing and paid. Right. And we were saying that, you know, there's a point where there's a lot of people out there following the content marketing route, personal brands, all that, but the real differentiator going forward is going to be paid. Yep. Actually, and the fact that paid is becoming more sophisticated, the geo targeting, all that sort of stuff. What, what's your thoughts on that? Do you think that that there is a shift? Because there was a shift away from paid, I think, for a while, particularly when it was blunt, but now it's getting sharper and sharper again because of the data yep. that we get that it's becoming more powerful. Do you share that view? Yeah, I think so. I was I was doing a lot of organic stuff before too, and so I think this is interesting because. I think it depends on, let's say you're a new founder, a new business. You always want to sort of do organic because you think it's great. Hey, I'm only going to be an organic marketer. I only want to share my Facebook page, my post, and then my friend's going to buy. But then what happens is you then start to realize that like your business doesn't grow. And then that's when you start looking into paid. And then that's when you realize, oh, whoa, this paid thing is actually really good. I can put in a hundred bucks and make a thousand bucks. Why wouldn't I do this all day? And then that's sort of where I see like this sort of shift in like founder focus or founder like mentality of like, oh, okay. Like paid isn't bad, right? They like before it's like, oh, paid is bad. Like, oh, I'm like, I, I want to build my business organically. But they realize that business, like I said before, it doesn't grow. And then paid is really the only way to grow. But um, going back to paid, I'm seeing it much more sophisticated now than ever before with the targeting. Like I know for us here, we run some campaigns 
for my local cleaning company and we just can target zip codes, right? Think about it. Like you can just target people that you can service. That way you don't need to waste your ad dollars. You don't need to waste your money. And the people that live in this area, you can target them directly saying, hey, look, we're a cleaning company down the block from you. Come and use our service. Um, again, we have like scavenger hunts competitions here in New York City for some brands we work with. We don't want to be spending money in like New Jersey or Connecticut. We just want to do all the zip codes in New York City. Um, and that's sort of, I think, for people to realize like that's effective and that's what you need because if not, you're going to be wasting your money. You can say all of New York City, but you that's what you're going to be wasting money. Um, so that's why I think I think paid is getting a lot better. And with tools too, like Facebook and Google, they're I, I think for businesses, like sometimes these tools like Facebook, especially Google Analytics is scary, but it just takes a few minutes and a few hours a day to really understand how, how you can use it to help you because then you could really see how customers are finding you, what keywords they are using, because then you could use that to make your marketing and your targeting better. Um, I think a lot of times with this data is scary type of things because customers don't really know how to use the Google Analytics or the tools and realize that they're there to help you because if you don't have them, how do you know how many website visitors you have? You have like, remember back in the day, you had like that widget that's like the website counter, but I'm like, that's not useful like at all. It's like you want some sort of data. And, and I think, um, I mean, I, with this whole data thing, I think it's interesting because when I talk to people, it's like, um, you probably have it too. It's like, if they're not, if they're not in the business of, of this, they don't think they're like, Oh, why would you want my data? But then once they start making our business, they're like, oh, okay, I actually want the data. So it's like, you start well, realizing, yeah. yeah. My, my thought on this is more, it's not really the data, it's yeah. the insights. The company. Insights, yeah. And so, so if people just see a mass, like you're right, that counter, yeah. I forgot about that counter, yeah. little counter. Yeah, yeah, yeah that counter. Right, like, okay, so I've had this many visits and it's yeah. not even, it didn't even used to reset. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, it's like I said, yeah, it's pointless. But if, but if, you know, this is the thing that I'm fascinated about and I haven't, in fairness, looked at this enough yet to really go deep. But I'm just curious about where this is going to go, right? So, and also there's a bit of a pushback because we started to talk a little bit about the automation, the bots yep. coming in. Like I use, or have used some of the LinkedIn automation bots before, mm -hmm. but it just looks really spammy now. And I hate it when someone tries to send you a message mm -hmm. and they've stuffed up your first yeah. name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you get the automated sequencing now. Yeah, um, it's like everybody knows that now, yeah. No, but where do you think it's going next? I mean, have you got any, you may not know the detail, but I mean, if it was you, where, where would you take it? Because it needs to evolve. It needs to be maybe more AI driven yeah. um, and a bit more intuitive or possibly. I, what, I'm, what I think it's going to be, at least for me, like we use a lot of automation here for like my, let's say for my cleaning company, right? When we use automation, we think about it as like, uh, we think about it like kind of like AI plus human powered. So for example, for us, I think AI and automation should be there to help you as a user and consumer, or if you have a staff to help you. So for example, for my cleaning company, if someone books a cleaning that's outside our zip code, we, we have a Zapier, which is, a, if people don't know Zapier, it's a really great automation tool that takes in that booking or that essentially takes in that email and extracts the zip code from the booking uh, uh, that the client just booked, right, for the cleaning. And then we have, a, we have a parser there that basically says, hey, what's the zip code? And if the zip code matches an area code that we don't do, then send our staff a Slack message to say, hey, this customer that just booked is out of service area, give them a call to cancel their cleaning. So that is a great sort of way to use automation of, of a task that a human does, uh, has already did already, but then now we just automate it through Zapier and through email and through Slack. That way now it's just instant and it helps the consumer because now they get, a, they get an answer faster as in, hey, 
within a minute or so, now they know, hey, yep, sorry, we're going to cancel your booking. Or before it took us maybe 30 minutes. And it's like, hey, look, I waited 30 minutes. Like sometimes you get pissed off because like I would have looked for another company. So you see how sometimes that helps the user experience. Um, and that's how we use automation there. But then for like um, uh, mate sailors, another way we use automation, sorry, it's a cleaning company, is yep. um, we do a lot of um, like Slack stuff. I mean, Slack is like basic automation, but we use Slack for like any sort of booking or thing that comes in, we will put into Slack and then we'll use an automation on there to say, yep, this booking is confirmed. And we'll have like a check mark, the, the emojis and the X to be like, nope, we can't do this or not confirm yet or stuff like that. But um, those are some ways we use like a Zapier uh, automation. I think Zapier is probably the future of a lot of marketing where basically it's like the central hub of your kind of your data going everywhere. And then you can use that to clean it up, to help you do your job or to send automated messages. But going back to what you said before about like email sequences and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I mean that for me, when I get an email, I'm like, I know it's all automated, which is fine uh, because I know what they're trying to do. But where I'm seeing automation and AI, I think it's going to be this like human powered plus AI. And the way I think about it, it's kind of like Tesla. I have a Tesla when I drive on self-driving it's both, but then I know that I still need to be paying attention. So it's like, you need AI to sort of help you, but then you still need a human to really tell you the, tell you what the job to do, for example. And the reason why I think about that too, is because I was reading a book by PayPal, which is, I guess, Elon Musk is founder of PayPal, right? When they were working on, on uh, fraud detection, they said that they basically developed some sort of AI program that basically helped with the fraud. Kind of like kind of what we do for mid-sellers. I think that's where I got the idea from, where they basically would flag stuff and then the AI would get it like maybe correct 50% of the time, but then, so they would always have a human check that fraud and say, okay, yep, this is right, this is wrong. So the AI was helping you versus like doing it for you where I think now people are pissed off when it's like completely automated because it's at 10% that they mess up and that 10% pisses people off. And then that's when they complain and they go on Twitter and get that you mad, right? Oh yeah. And the cost of that's even more than just having yeah. a person monitoring. But yeah, I, I find this, um, this stuff really fascinating, but I'm also conscious that people listening, yeah, because we're all sorts of different people, right? And, yeah, and your, yeah. your background is the reason I wanted to go into this direction today is because I haven't had that many people who have come from a technical background okay, yeah. approach the sort of market side. So my question to you is this, how do you, how do you build this? Let's try and be, you know, let's maybe get into some steps and yep. make it practical. But if someone's listening to this and they're going, actually, I want to build the machine. I want to build the machine of what, you know, Nick and Kevin have been talking about for the last 10, 15 minutes. Where do you start? Do you yep. need an ops manager? What, is, what does it look like? Yeah. So if you, I would say like, if you want to start thinking about automation or automating some sort of process, number one is think about something that you, or your staff kind of do almost every day and really break it down, right? It's for example, Going back to mate sellers, I'll, I'll sort of break it down how we thought about it. We get an email every day that says, hey, Kevin just booked a booking. And it's basically in the same format, the address, the zip code, the credit card they use, and the date. Um, so then you want to think about, how, okay, this is just in text. How do you extract that? And before you have to like program this, but, but really um, for people who haven't used it, it's called Zapier. I think it's Z-A-P-I-E-R. Mm. Uh, very good company. I've used it before, but I've never really understood what it did. Okay. It has all of these kind of API connections. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah. Think about it like Zapier is like the central hub. And then you have all these like inputs that you can give it. 
and it has inputs from everything, right? Basically an input, it's like a black box and then the output, which is whatever you want. And that's what makes Zapier so great was because before Zapier, you had to like code all these connections, but Zapier pretty much got so big that pretty much every company now that you probably use has some sort of Zapier integration. That's what makes it great is because five years ago, maybe not, but now like, I, I now go to software. I'm less like, okay, integrations, Zapier. Okay, great. Okay. Now, now I know I want to use you, right? So it's come, it's become like table stakes for new software companies to integrate with Zapier because they're just a mass. And other people talk about Zapier. Zapier is a crazy company. I think they're like hundred million ARR company. They raised like a million dollars in funding, like super profitable company, crazy uh, founder story. But yeah, that's why I love that company too, because of just how great they are. Um, but Basically, you have this input, which is an email, and then you go to Zapier. What Zapier has is what it called, it's called like essentially like recipes or things to do. Basically, if you say, hey, if you give me an email, it can then extract the text from that email because an email is just text. And then there's another function in there called like extractor. In the extractor, you can say, hey, look for this keyword, for example, zip code, and then extract that line of text. And then it can pull that keyword, that basically line of text from you. And then now you can have another function in there. Function is just like a way to do things saying, hey, if zip code equals, you know, 111, then yes, it's good. If it doesn't, then no, it's not good. And then you can get, then you can, now you can connect it to an output. An output can be another email, right? It could be, uh, hey, Kevin, um, this booking came in. By the way, this thing is not working. Another output could be a text message, right? For example, just text you, hey, this booking is not good. WhatsApp, they have a lot of outputs, right? But the most common output is probably gonna be Slack. People use Slack on their computer and it goes to like a channel. A channel is just like a way of a messaging stream. And then basically that's how you would think about uh, as using Zapier. And we use Zapier for many things too. For example, um, here at Voy, uh, we have a contact form. So we have a contact form that connects to Zapier. Zapier now has a thing called lead scoring. Lead scoring, it'll take your input, the email, the phone number and put it through their system and say, hey, Kevin, uh, this is a good lead. You you should probably contact them. Or, hey, Kevin, this is a bad lead. Don't waste your time contacting them. How does it work that out? It has like a lead scoring API built in that basically will, uh, basically, let's say my name based is Kevin. Reading, like based on reading the email. Yeah, based on reading the email, based on the phone number. It basically will do a lookup of like everything that you can potentially give it. Phone number, email, first name, and say, hey, Kevin at Voy Media. Okay, based on all the public data that we were able to gather, remember they just like it's an API. We can see that this company has this amount of traffic. It has this amount of employees from LinkedIn. It's probably a good prospect for you to talk to, and it has a bunch of stuff built in that's free. Um, but then again, there's also other paid ones. Um, I can know as you're talking though. You, see, your brain works in this way, Kevin. Right? And, and I'm I'm imagining a lot of the entrepreneurs going, I still don't get this. What 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 my recommends not not in terms of that your explanation of it's good, but it's my, my sense is they're going to have to bring in help. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So so the way I work, right? Is I go um, see how I've got all these people. So Clubhouse, yeah. right? So I've got yeah. all these people reaching out to me right now. I had yeah. six hundred Instagram oh, in like yeah. four days. Right. Yeah, that's a and lot. Yeah. I just employed heaps of people. Yeah. Like five people. Just yeah. Yeah. Stay on that. And then I'm, now someone said, oh, you, you could have automated half of that. And I'm going, yeah. well, I, I know I can, but that's still not useful, man. Yeah, like, yeah, I yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so what do you suggest? Obviously, you've got to get people in, right? You've got to get help because there's got to be people like you, just technically proficient, who are yep. good at pulling these things together. Is that, is that the best way? Yeah, the best way is just look for someone that's like technically minded and that can sort of help understand. And really, it's about... 
um, the way I've done it, and at least the way I help my employees is because I tell them to do this too. And they're like, I have no clue what you're talking about. Like, and I'm just like, okay. Like, for example, one of my employees, I was like, hey, just it makes me, me like I'm not mad now, Kevin, because yeah. I'm going, because, yeah. you know, your background is Silicon, Silicon yeah, Valley yeah. development, right? That's yeah. So like for me, it's just like, this is like for me. So this is so interesting to say, because like for me, I'm like, this is so obvious, but like, I've had, I've, I tell that to employees sometimes soon. They're just like, I have no clue what you just did. I'm like, okay, I want to help you out. Just record what you're doing every day and send me a recording and I'll see how I can automate that. I'm like, okay. And then that's really where I can come in and help because for me, I'm thinking about it. Yeah. So, so taking core processes, like as you said at the very beginning, yeah. whatever I do every day. Yeah. So, so to go back to my clubhouse example, we've got an out, we've got a very clear process, yeah. but it's people um, reliant. Yeah. So if, if that was then recorded, documented some way, videos and or other yeah. ways, you would look at that and go, okay, I'm going to look at a, another way of getting from A to B. So yeah. B being the result, A being the starting point, and I'm going to use technology where I can to make it as efficient as possible. Yep, exactly. Yeah, and that's it. Like, for example, like um, I've seen some people make some like DM bots on Zapier where like if they DM you like, love to join your program, right? They can see that and say like, okay, great. Now they'll automatically send another message saying, what's your email? And then if they detect an email, they'll put them into like a drip campaign, a MailChimp campaign, and then automatically will start to flow the process stuff like that. And it's funny because that's sort of, I did that. I did that process for my outdoor gear company where we, we ran a competition and we basically, Hey, if you want to compete, enter the competition, um, email us your email. And then basically our bot would just detect emails and automatically put them into like a sequence and then we'll automatically send like a five email sequence out. And basically we were able to do this to recruit new people to one of our hiking groups. And now that our hiking group is like 40,000 members just through this way of automating it. And all we were doing, the bot was just DMing people. Hey, we have a competition, love for you to join and ran that for months. And we never touched it, but we just kept seeing the emails coming in and our group kept growing organically. Like, oh, this works really well. That's yeah. what people get to. So, so if, if I asked you, you know, if you, in any business, it doesn't matter if it's B2B, B2C or, you know, more, mm-hmm. you know e-commerce, whatever, what, what are the basic tools, uh, tools, let's call them technologies uh, for both system or automation that people need? So the first thing I'd kick off is, I mean, every business needs a CRM, don't they? Yeah. CRM, we use HubSpot. So HubSpot so is great. Yeah. It's great to just at least know where your customers are coming from, what they're doing on your website. They have a great free plugin that basically it's kind of like a Google analytics or some sorts uh, that basically shows you the path they're taking. And again, for you being able to track your customers, is so important, uh, what they're buying, their email, et cetera. Um, also another thing too, is because you can invite your team members to look at it. Um, Google Analytics, super important just to get insights, not just the data, but like we said before, insights. You want to know what are the pages they're looking at? Um, what are they reading? How do they come to you? Was it referral traffic? Was it organic traffic? And really sometimes this is so important because even for me, sometimes I'll be like, oh, wow, it's crazy. We have a spike in traffic today. And I'm like, oh, okay. Someone mentioned this on a blog. I'm like, oh, what blog was it? And that's helpful to go reach out to them. Say, hey, thanks for mentioning. And I, we've gotten some great great things like that. Because I think as any business owner, like, I mean, you maybe like depends on who it is, but like, for me, I'm like, okay, I know our traffic, our blog gets around this much traffic a day. And when you see like an like rare, like these big numbers, you're like, that's weird. Like what's up. And then you like can look in, right. At least for me, that's how I think. Like, or if I see like traffic's really low, I'm like, oh, that's weird. What happened? Is something broken on the website? Right. And you sort of like start thinking about stuff like that. So having this data just gives yourself insights into your own business because you can predict things and insights, stuff like that. Um, another one. So if you really wanted to get into automation, I think another big one is going to be Zapier. 
learning Zapier is probably one of the best things I think you could do. It's free to use. Um, you can do, so you don't have to pay for it. And this gives you freedom to do it. For example, for here at Boy, we use it for money things. Obviously it was time before Nick about the lead scoring, but we also use it when we sign new clients. Someone signs, a, we use Better Proposal, which is a proposal tool. Someone signs that. Once they sign it, their full name, email goes into Zapier. That automatically kicks off our internal process to add them to our current client roster in, in in here, kick off a message to our VA to say, hey, yep, the client just signed, start the process, get the signer board ready, get the Slack board ready, and just basically tells us the full steps of what to do next. Where before, the client would sign, I'd be like, check the email. Okay, now it's just like, I don't even think about it. I just get it. I get a Slack. We also get a Slack that says new client sign and it's like at channel and everybody's excited. So you don't have to think about who, it. Um, who built your processes? So forgetting the technology, just the mapping of processes. Did you have someone help you help you with that or did you do it yourself? Oh, uh, we basically, it's myself and Wilson, who's the founder. We kind of just think about like, what's the process and how do we want to automate the things? And, um, but yeah, usually just us, like usually the founders, I think, or like someone on the team, We've well, but again, other teammates, uh, similar to what I said before too, Nick, it's like, once you sort of introduce this to the company, the teammates start thinking about it. Oh, how can I make my job easier? Right? It's like, okay, yes, this is a, it's like that. Like that sort of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How can but, I order uh, have, right? Yeah. Let's, uh, let's, um, finish off with your book. Yep. Oh, yeah. So I do have a book. Yeah. I was like, I was so confused. I was like, what book? I was like, I was like, Oh yeah, my book. Yeah. yeah. It's called digital marketing made yeah. easy. A to Z growth strategies. And yeah. to be honest, we probably covered a few. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So basically the book was really made for the way we made the book was we came out in think, June or July and really the Wilson and I wrote it and it's really more for new people that just got into getting started into marketing. And it's a little bit more than beginner friendly. It's more like intermediate, I would say, but it teaches you about Facebook ads, Google ads, landing pages, analytics, A-B testing, and kind of like user experience. All the things that we think is so important to know about running a business. And we go into details. We talk about tools you could use. Uh, we talk about Zapier as well in there. So Definitely um, really Zapier. you realize that, Kevin. I hope you are. You need to be a shareholder of Zapier. Uh, I love it. So, you like, evangelize Zapier, it. so it's so funny because uh, Zapier is a great tool, but there was another tool. There's another tool. There's another tool I was using before that called if this, then that, which is kind of like, it's interesting because I used it before. I never thought about it as like, it goes with like kind of what we're saying before about marketing angles. If this and that was more of like, kind of like, oh, this is kind of like a playful tool. And then Zapier pretty much took that same idea and made it like B2B. And then I was like, oh, okay, this is like super crazy how they took that same idea, just added like a B2B twist to it. And now it's like, oh, it makes sense. And if this and that now is like completely like, I think they're shutting down because they just like couldn't. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Zapier too awesome. good. Well, listen, listen, mate, it's been great having you on the show. Um, I'm glad we touched on that stuff. I know when we first started talking, yeah. uh, we weren't going to necessarily go there, but I'm, I'm glad that I kind of probed you a bit because- yeah. As I said, not many people understand the stuff that we've covered today. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. If anybody needs questions, like again, just email me or email Nick and I can ha gladly help with just like thinking about it. So yeah, that's going to be good too. Okay, cool. Well, let, let me ask you two last questions then. Um, th before we, we kind of get into how to contact you, um, what are some, you know, looking forward now for the next few years, you know, we've just, we're coming out of kind of global pandemic, hopefully soon as we record this. What, what, are, what are your top, say, two or three tips or, um, you know, marketing, the, the, the focus areas of marketing that everyone should be considering um, as they go forward over these next couple of years? 
Yeah, I think for marketing, what people need to be considering about now is going to be marketing, for the way I see it right now, it's, it's very create, creative focus. So really building that sort of creative knowledge and creative bank of stuff that works well. So if you're, if you're a company, at least for us here at Voy, we're thinking about hiring creative people like artists, uh, writers, script writers, journalists, all these people that can sort of make up a story of something. Uh, I think that's so important for your brand. Um, and so having uh, script writers or creative people is so important. Another one that I would think too is, at the all the time, it's this process of being creative, you need to build that in-house. Like an agency like us, we can help, of course, but you know your brand better than anybody else. You know what you want to tell and an agency is there to help you get those ideas out. Um, so that's sort of like the two things that I would say is like hire people like, like these people that are on TikTok or Instagram Reels. There's a reason why they're creating content that's getting tons and tons of views because they know how to attract an audience and that's for your brand. That's what you want. You want eyeballs. So hire them early, bring them part of your team and, and use them to help you uh, make assets. I like that idea. Find someone who's already got some success yeah. and get them to come and apply that to you. And, and the one thing you said there, which I found, I think is very true, is one of the hardest uh, roles, if you like, or capabilities to find is is copywriting and, and maybe a little bit more deeper than that is storytelling. Yep. And I've exactly. struggled to find that. And when you find someone who can do it really well, um, I agree with you, you need to grab them damn yeah. quick. Yep, exactly. And yeah, so yeah, find those people. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, listen, thanks, Kevin. Where can people specifically reach out if they do have questions for you uh, or check out your company or all those sort of things? Um, let us know. Yeah. So you, you can just go to Kevin at Voy Media, V-O-Y, or I, I'm on Twitter a lot. So that's twitter.com forward slash Danis, D-A-N-E-S-T. And then my website, our, the company website is voymedia.com. Yeah, great. We'll, we'll make sure we put all that stuff into the, the links. With Voy Media specifically, do you, um, do you do any of the process stuff or is it purely the marketing? Yeah, so we do all the pro process and stuff. And that, for the Voy Media, it's like every week, it's like every almost three, four months, it's changing. So we'll, we'll have like, uh, we have like processes internally, right? Media buyers, when they're talking, when we're doing ad creatives, how we're splitting ad hooks, how we're splitting tests, how we're splitting the creatives. Uh, yeah, all that stuff is a process that we have. It's not like automated, but it's more of like internal company process of who, when we talk to clients, when we talk to teammates, uh, stuff like that. But yeah. You don't provide it as a service to clients. It's oh, just no. Kind of oh yeah, no, no. We, for VoIP, it's just like, just the ads. But we are, we're on constantly like changing our internal processes almost every other few months because it's like, how do you make it better, right? It's like, it's always a thing. Yeah. That. that could be your next business. <laughs> well, listen, Kevin, awesome having you on the show today. Thanks very much for your time. And uh, no doubt I'll see you somewhere, possibly Clubhouse, all those crazy yeah. places in the future. Thanks, mate. <laughs> Thank you. And there you have it, another episode of Scale Up Your Business. Thank you very much for listening. And if you haven't yet, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help the show become even better. And while you're there, make sure you hit that subscribe button to help you on your scale up journey. Now, perhaps you're thinking of growing and scaling your business. Perhaps now is the time. If that's you, then please check out suyb.global. That's where we have all of our programs, including the Growth Accelerator Partnership, the Maximize Value Partnership, all of our services, and of course, coaching and mentoring. Once again, be grateful, be brave, have faith, and show up. Until next time.